We were doing a series on uh, how to beat the blues. And uh, we, we were able to get our first one in, even though we still a lot of people were not able to make it because it was so cold that Sunday. And y'all remember the blues guy that we had? That was a riot. Great service. Yeah. yeah. And then we were supposed to do one again last Sunday, but then we had to cancel service. He was here, but uh, nobody else was here. Uh, and then we were, he was going to do this cool blues concert this Saturday night. We started selling tickets the first Sunday, and we're going to really push it last Sunday. Well, with last Sunday being canceled, we weren't able to uh, generate enough tickets even, even to do it. So we have to cancel the concert. But uh, we're going to try and have him come back, uh, and, and we'll try this series again. We, he'll be here again this Sunday, so we can... Uh, uh, you know, wrap up the series, but we, we don't want to have enough tickets sold for the, the blues concert. So if you bought tickets for the blues concert, you'll want to bring them back and uh, bring them to the counter out there and say, I want my money back. Okay. Otherwise you just gave a donation. <laughs> so, so make sure that you uh, come and ask for your, for your money back and keep in mind, there will not be the blues concert this Saturday night. All right, getting in the word. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Glad that you're here. Uh, those of you worshiping with here uh, on uh, here at uh, Bayside Campus and those who are also watching uh, at Stevens Point. Greetings to all you guys. And uh, uh, we're going to be getting in the word. I love this service. This is my favorite service of the week. I love getting into the word on Wednesday night. I just love taking the time and just boom, 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 verse by verse going through the scriptures. Uh, we are in 1 Timothy. We're toward the end of 1 Timothy. Um, we're in chapter 5. And uh, this is Paul writing to the, the church, uh, or not to the church, but uh, to Timothy, uh, a young preacher who he's giving advice on how to conduct himself in his ministries and how to approach people and how to handle the different, different details and stuff in the church. And uh, where we left off, um, Timothy was writing to, or Paul was writing to Timothy, talking about the rules, how to deal with the widows. If you remember, it's been a few Sundays or Wednesdays now because of the weather and stuff. And uh, I was sick on a dog for a while. So just coming out of the end of that. Man, what a miserable cold that was. Hope you didn't get it. But man, oh man, that was. My wife got it. She was like done in 24 hours. And I was like lame before the Lord for 10 days. Uh, <laughs> just a girly man. But man, that was nasty stuff. But uh, finally came out. Anyway, so it's been a couple of weeks to kind of bring you up to where we were. We were talking about, um, he was writing rules about widows. Because one of the things that they did in the New Testament church is they took care of uh, widows. Um, but uh, Paul comes along and says, well, look, we need some rules with this because it's getting a little bit out of hand. And uh, some of the rules that he laid down was, first of all, you know, they, they need to be, you know, at least 60 years of age and, you know, of good reputation. And one of, the, one of the big things that he kicked in is that, look, the church should not be taking care of these widows if they have family members to take care of them. And, uh, and he makes this very, very strong uh, statement. And he says, uh, people who don't, um, uh, in, in verse 8, he says, if anyone does not provide for his own relatives, especially his immediate family, especially his immediate family, <clears throat> implying that you should even do it beyond that. But good grief, let's at least focus on the immediate family. If he doesn't do that, He's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now how a believer in Jesus becomes worse than an unbeliever is quite a stretch. But this is what he says. I mean, he dealt with it in the strongest of terms and said, you need to take care of your family. And I, and I, I went through this with you last time and I, and I kept promising that, you know, when we came back, we, we try and spend a little bit more uh, a time on that and try and clarify uh, where he's coming from. But, uh, um, 
If you'll think of the Old Testament, think, think of the Ten Commandments. Uh, you know, God comes uh, to, to Moses and, and gives him these Ten Commandments. And, and you know, the, the commandments, you know, I, I am the Lord thy God. There's, there's nobody before you, uh, before me. Don't have any other gods. Don't take my name in vain. You know, honor the Sabbath. Uh, don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't lie. Don't cheat. All these different heavy things. But then he throws in this one, you know, honor your father and your mother. And it's, uh, we always have interpreted that, that, well, you know, now he's talking to children. But he wasn't talking to children. At no time was he talking to children. Now, you can teach this to your children, and they need to learn it, and kids should uh, obey their parents, and Paul talks about that in the New Testament, that you need to obey your parents, and um, uh, young people, I, I challenged a couple of weeks ago, you know, if, if they, they, they're, you know, Christian young people, 16, 17 years of age, and they're praying, say, God, you know, what's your will for my life? How come God doesn't tell me you know, his will for my life. I said, well, why God's going to tell you that? You can't even pick up your underwear for crying out loud. You know, listen to your parents and then God can start talking to you. You know, get the little things first. And so it's important that as our young people and stuff, but you have to understand that commandment was not to children. It was to adults. It was all to adults. This idea of honoring, honoring your father and mother. I said, well, what does that mean? honor your father you just be nice to them and, and call them once in a while um no it actually it's, it's a little stronger than that if, if you look at matthew the seventh chapter let's let's open and start with there tonight and then we'll jump back over here but we're just trying to make clear what what paul was talking about to timothy when he's talking about taking care of your own family matthew the seventh chapter and uh and verse nine Da-da-da. this is wrong this is not where I want to be. Oh, oh, man. What was it, verse 9? I wrote down the wrong one. Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. Oh, man, I don't know where it is. Where he's talking, some of you brilliant people out there, any instant Bible scholars, is where he said, uh, you have heard it say, honor your father and your mother, but uh, instead of giving... You call the gift a special gift to God instead of doing it. Nobody's smarter than me out there, huh? (laughs) Oh, man. Where is it? Matthew what? Matthew 54? Fifteen. So Matthew's a longer book than I thought. Matthew fifteen. Now there it is. How in the world did I wind up in seven? Goodness gracious! There, great. Here it is. Jesus replied. This is Matthew's uh, the fifteenth chapter, starting verse three. Jesus replied, "And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, and then he quotes the commandment: Honor your father." And your mother. And anyone who curses his father and mother must be put to death. These are the commands, again, given to adults. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, well, whatever help you might otherwise receive uh, uh, from me is a gift devoted to God, then he's not to honor his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Uh, and, and he really gets on them. So now, now check it out. What, what he's saying here, a lot of times people have understanding. What is he talking about here? What, what, the, the implication of this honoring your father and mother is to take care of them. To financially help take care of your parents. That's what the Bible is teaching here. 
and has always taught this. And he says what they did is the uh, scribes and Pharisees said, well, I'll tell you what, instead of taking care of your parents, if you give that money to the church, to the kingdom of God, well then it's, it's a gift to God. And if you give the gift to God, then, then you're, you're free from your obligation to help support your parents. And Jesus nailed this and said, you got no business doing that, taking, talking to these religious leaders, trying to take, get the money for themselves and getting them off the hook. Say, well, give us the money and then, you know, then you don't have to give it to your parents. And maybe if you're ticked off of your parents or whatever the deal was. And Jesus very heavily condemned this. So the implication, uh, uh, that Jesus talked about in this context was this, this command means to help support and take care of your parents. Now, this is a very hard word to, to throw out, particularly in our culture here in the United States of America. Because we've been raised in a culture here that we think that the government has to take care of our parents and other people can take care of our parents and we can get rid of them this way, that way, the other. And I know, you know, this is... I, and I told you this when I was reading this last time. But when I share this, this is, this, is, this is a tricky thing. And I'm not trying to make you feel bad or icky. And this can create some tension in some homes. But there is a moral responsibility, if you're going to obey the word of God, to take care of your family if they're in that position. Now, easy thing for me to say, because I'm not in a situation where I have to step in and uh, invite my parents to move into our house and help take care of them and and that sort of thing. Uh, My parents, uh, my dad was a doctor, did very well for himself. He's got plenty of money. And uh, and my parents are very sick. And one of my brothers, uh, who's single, moved in and he helps take care of them and stuff like that. And uh, uh, but, but again, because we were raised in a home, and a lot of it is cultural. Uh, we come from you know, kind of a Hispanic culture, and in a Hispanic culture, it's kind of a given in that culture. You take care of your, your parents. It just is. You don't see a lot of Hispanic or a lot of uh, Asian old people in homes. You just don't. You know, this is more of an American culture thing that we do. And uh, my wife and I actually have had this argument. And, uh, you know, she, with my parents getting sicker and stuff, you know, we need to put them in a home. And I said, no, we don't do that. And she gets mad at me, and I get mad at her. And uh, uh, fortunately, my brother stepped in, and peace has been in the family. You know, now, if something goes down and my wife leaves me over the deal, it'll be the end of my marriage ministry, probably. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, then I'll, I'll uh, find something else to talk about. But... Uh, <laughs> But and, and again, I understand it's culture. She comes from a traditional culture. That's what you do. That's certainly, you know, uh, and, and even a lot of uh, people raised in that culture, they don't even want their kids to take care of them. I don't, you know, their parents will, don't want any help. And they'd rather be stuck at home. That's fine. I understand that. But uh, uh, we're trying to change away from just our normal culture to what does the Bible say? We need more of a biblical culture. And I told my wife, I said, you don't understand. All of our lives, my daddy always said to all of us, he says, now when I get old, you won't put me in a home, will you? You won't put me in a home. No, daddy, we won't. Even if I get, no, daddy, we'll do, you know, only in the worst, circ, circ, worst of circumstances, we'll be there, we'll take care, you know, da, 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 da. So now that they're doing bad, the idea of just, you know, putting them off, I said, I said, Deb, this, this is not an option for me. If we have to move them into our house, you know, there's where the tension came. <laughs> you know, because she's not excited about the idea, and obviously she'd have to deal with it more than I would. I understand that. You know, we have to make some sacrifices. Does that mean we had to bring in? But this this whole idea of we have to be there for them is, is something I was always raised with. And again, 
I'm not trying to shove my culture down your throat and however you approach it. And some people say, well, this is how I take care of them. I pay for them to be there and stuff. Okay, whatever. You know, but all I'm telling you is that this idea of honoring father and mother, honoring parents is actually commands to adults to take care of their family and to honor and respect their family and be there for them. Now, sometimes you say, well, it's just impossible. We can't. Well, God, I'm saying impossible is impossible. I understand that. You do whatever you can. But uh, for people to try and find ways of not honoring their parents. And that's certainly what Paul was talking about here. He says, man, if a believer doesn't take care of his, particularly his own immediate family, he's worse than an infidel, is, is what the King James says. Here it says, translated as, as unbeliever. It's, it's a strong thing. And, under, and I, I know of couples who, they fight over this. And this has brought tension in their homes. And people who've written me said, my, my wife wants me to bring our parents and take care of them. I ain't going to do that. Bible and, you know, and, and, and uh, what do you think? And I always say, well, I think the Bible says that's exactly what you ought to do. Of course, then they quit writing me back. Because they were <clears throat> hoping that I would agree. You know, people are always looking for somebody to agree with them. To tell, as long as I agree with them, they keep talking to me. And when I don't, they quit talking to me. But uh, uh, again, I'm not trying to make anybody mad. And I'm not trying to put... You know, gas on a fire if you're dealing with these issues, and I'm certainly not trying to make you feel bad, but I'm just telling you, it's a biblical concept. How you work it out, that's between you and God, and I get it, but without question, the principle is there. We have a moral responsibility before God to do whatever we can to take care of our immediate family, particularly our, our parents. This is a way of honoring them and respecting them. And uh, unlike the Pharisees, I would prefer that people uh, do that and then say, I can't give a special gift to the church. You know, I, I, I don't think God is in such a situation that uh, if you quit uh, giving uh, an extra offering because now you need to take care of your parents, that God's going to freak out about that. I think this is, this is a biblical thing. Again, I'm not looking for a fight for anybody. I'm just telling you what I believe the Bible says. Certainly, the Old Testament taught it. Jesus emphasized it in that way. And Paul nails it here in black and white, as clear as can be. How you walk with it, work it out, you guys can argue it out. Uh, uh, you say, well, Pastor Boy, if you really do that, you, you could really create a lot of inconvenience in, in people's lives. <laughs> yeah. It's hard. It, you know, love can be highly inconvenient. Doing the right thing can be high, and especially in a culture where we believe that it's only God's will as long as it makes me happy. This is not popular. You don't hear very many people preach on this. You've probably never heard anybody preach on this. This is not a cool thing. You're talking about a situation that could cause a lot of work, a lot of struggle, a lot of complications, a lot of effort, a lot of, and, and, and it can make life very, very, very difficult. For, I'm just telling you, I still think uh, it's the right thing to do. And uh, again, how you work it out, if you, you know, that's between you and God. I just know that you can't just blow off your parents. Certainly that you can't do. You've got to be there for them. (sighs) All right. Send your emails to Bob Gustafson. (laughs) All right. Ouch, huh? Now, moving on, leaving that behind, let's, uh, there was a lot of scripture on there about, about the whole deal. Uh, picking up at chapter 5 now, verse 17. Now Paul goes on and he starts talking about financially supporting uh, your pastor. <laughs> That's exactly what he's talking about here. Those, those uh, and, and let's take a look at what he says here. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor. 
especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says this, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain and the worker deserves his wages. Now, what is he talking about here? He's talking about financially taking care of those who minister to you in the word. And it's a command to the church to help take care of their pastors is really what it is. Especially those who preach and teach. Now, there's some debate uh, as to what what does it mean? Uh, you know, that the, these people who do this are worthy of double honor. What does that mean, double honor? Uh, I don't really know what it means, <laughs> to be honest. I'll, I'll tell you what some people think it means. So some people believe uh, that, uh, um, uh, that the, the <laughs> I'm not, anyway, let me just say it. What, what a lot of people believe is, is that, uh, and some churches practice this, that the, the pastors should make double the income of anybody else in their church. That's what, it, that's what some people have said. Maybe some of you have heard that. I don't think that's what it means. And if it does, then even fine. Even if it does mean that, it, uh, I certainly don't take advantage of that. And uh, I am among one of the lowest paid senior staff. I think I am in this church, which is fine. And, uh, uh, um, you know, I hope I get blessed enough where I don't have to take anything. I mean, I, I'm not in this for the money. I pat, You guys in Stevens Point know I pastored there for years and didn't take any money while well, you paid my health insurance. Thank you. But beyond that, I, you know, well, I'm really, oh, in Stevens Point, they paid me nothing and I was the largest contributor to the church. <laughs> How sad is that? You know, I mean, I was really in the hole on that deal. Um, so I, I don't do this for the money. I've never done it for the money. I'm not motivated by the money. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, now some will, some churches, what they do is instead of saying, well, he should earn double more than anybody in the church, they say, well, let's take an average of what an average income is in the church and then double it to the, to their, uh, some churches do that. Uh, but they're pretty minimal churches that do that. Usually ones that are very, very strict in following the Bible and they get uh, maybe a little too struck up on it. I still don't think that that's really what it means, but we do at least you can say, surely they're supposed to take care of their pastors. Surely they're supposed to take care of the financial needs of those that minister to them. That's what it's saying. And, and I'm glad that I'm in a position uh, where I don't need uh, much from the church. And, uh, um, and I just feel blessed uh, in that. And Paul was in that situation. He often boasted in the fact, I didn't take any of your money. you know. And he was glad. He says, I, sh- I had the right to. You should take care of those who minister to you. I'm glad I don't, so you can't ever say that I did it for the money, you know. And I say amen to that, which is great. But it is a biblical thing that churches should take care of those who minister to them in the word. Uh, again, what the standard of double honor is, I, I, I don't know what they're, what they're talking about. I, I know that most churches are not in a situation to uh, do that. Um, sadly, most churches... Most churches pay their pastors just barely enough to survive, which is sad, you know, and they struggle and, and can and barely make it. Uh, you know, we're certainly blessed uh, here uh, and always has been uh, with, with you guys in point as well as here that, uh, you know, they've always taken care of those who minister to us. And it's a good thing. We need to take care of them, help them, uh, support them so they can uh, focus on uh, ministering to us without and, and we have some wonderful people on staff here and, and we take care of them i mean no one here is making out like a drunken monkey i can tell you that but uh, but we take care of our, our guys and it's a scriptural thing to do that support them financially okay everybody cool on that
moving on. All right, now, if anybody wants to give me double what I'm making, great, that'd be great. But, but we'll move on. <laughs> I wouldn't take it anyway. Okay, so the next thing he says now, uh, talking about elders still. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder. Unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Someone shows up and says, that pastor did such and such. Uh, We're instructed not to accept that. Unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. You've you've got to have more uh, substantiation than just a single allegation. Uh, Now hopefully, we're able to live lives in such a way that we don't get any allegations. That's certainly... Uh, the goal of my life. Uh, uh, but we live in a culture today that, you know, allegations alone are enough to nail you. You know what I'm saying? I mean, all you need is the allegation, and boy, I promise you, somebody comes up and says, you know, that pastor, you know, he felt me up in his office, you know. I promise you, there'd be a huge percentage of the city that would go, I'll bet you he did. You know what I'm saying? This is the culture we live in. As soon as you get a little bit of a hint, and it, you know, and it's, how do you defend something, you know, like that? Oh, no, I didn't. Well, if you did, you'd say, no, you didn't. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, you're, you're cursed no matter how you do it. Uh, one of the reasons uh, we have video cameras in my office <laughs> is, and I don't know if you knew that, but you know it now. Uh, if you come into my office, you know, it's their motion detector, man. As soon as we walk in, the recorder starts going. Why? You know, just, you got to protect yourself. It's sad. That's the kind of uh, culture that we live in. But to what he's saying here, he says, you know, someone comes up with an accusation. You just don't jump on the bandwagon because someone accuses an elder. You don't listen to that. Now, if two or three credible witnesses come forward, now you've got to deal with it. Now you've got to pay attention. Now you've got to look into it. Um, and, and, and take a look at that. Uh, he says those who are those who sin are to be rebuked publicly, so that others may take warning. That's one of the uh, nasty things about being in a, a public position, uh, like myself, is if I do mess up in some way, uh, then I get struck out publicly and I get rebuked publicly, and it's a horrifying thing. I've seen it happen to others. Uh, and some people think it's a horrible thing and it shouldn't be done that way. When in point of fact, the Bible does say, you know, if they've sinned, if they've messed up, this is something that should be just publicly uh, in front of the congregation so that other people can take warning. Uh, there's a certain amount of responsibility that comes uh, as a leader of a, of a congregation and, um, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. And now, beyond that, I don't think we should publicly be humiliating people who make mistakes in the church. You know, I've seen churches who've done that. Doesn't matter who you are. If you mess up in some way, they bring you from the congregation. You know, say, well, this brother sinned and he did it and he kicked his dog and he shouldn't have done it. You know, and just, you know, uh, man, I'm telling you, over the years, I've been in some wacko churches. Uh, and uh, I just have, you know, and, uh, and, and just, you know, they almost take delight in humiliating people, which I think is a bad thing. But if you're up on the totem pole and you mess up, uh, it's uh, certainly scriptural to rebuke them publicly. Though I don't think anyone should ever take joy in such a thing. It's a sad, sad, sad thing. Um, Pray for your pastors. You know, I tell you, if I was the devil, I'd do everything I could to mess me up. I would. I would. I'd throw every wacko temptation and everything, you know, why? Why? 
Because then I could discredit everything I say, see. You know, so uh, I, I pray, you know, Lord, keep me. Keep me from temptation. I know me. <laughs> I do. I'm a person like anybody else. And I get tempted just like everybody else. And I, Jesus said, you pray that you don't fall into temptation. Man, that's my biggest prayer all the time. God, help me uh, stay away from situations that I would embarrass myself either morally or financially or, you know, whatever way that uh, I don't get in a situation that would embarrass you guys. Or, and more importantly, embarrass the kingdom of God, of which you're a part of the kingdom of God. Okay, there you go. He says, I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels. That means the chosen angels. Whenever you see the word elect, it means the chosen ones. Uh, to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. In other words, he's saying, hey, these rules apply to everybody. I don't care who you are. And you need to apply them evenly. Um, and um, boom, that was his instruction to Timothy. Uh, next thing he says to Timothy, don't, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. Now, the laying on of hands signify, this is what they would do when they would ordain people and put them in, in places of, of leadership and stuff. They would, they'd have the laying on of hands. They would pray, uh, install them uh, in, into positions of, 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 of leadership. And what he says, don't be hasty in doing that. And it's something that we always have to be careful with in churches. You don't just take somebody and then boom, just put them in charge in the church. They need to be someone who's been tested, the Bible says, and shown to be a workman that's approved unto God, and da 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 Now, in some churches, they make it really uh, ridiculously difficult to get into any kind of uh, leadership positions in churches. Some churches get into uh, all kinds of political nonsense, you know, and and, and, uh, all, and we, we try to avoid all that kind of stuff. So it's not like we're... Uh, you know, we're always looking forward to recognizing people's gifts and anointings and, and stuff in their lives. It just says, just don't be hasty. Be careful. Be careful. And he talks about this in other places in the scripture. So, And then he also says, do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. He says, again, warning uh, this young preacher. Then he goes on to this one. 20, verse 23. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Fascinating scripture verse right here. <clears throat> really, uh, because, for a couple of reasons. First of all, you know, there is this line of thinking, particularly in evangelical Christianity, that, uh, you know, that you should never touch alcohol, ever. There's, there's, there's no way, you know, that you should never touch wine and, or anything else like that, because in the Bible they never did. Uh, and that, you say, well, Jesus turned the water into wine. They said, no, 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 it was grape juice. And uh, so well, that's 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 funny because they accused Jesus of being a drunkard. How would you do that if all you drank was grape juice? And he said, No, no, it's, it's grape juice. And uh, and uh, on and on and on. And I said, Well, that's odd because the Bible says, "Be careful not to get drunk with wine." I mean, how much grape juice do you got to drink before you get drunk? I mean, you'd, I think you'd explode, right? Boosh! Uh, grape juice everywhere. So I mean, clearly it was wine. I mean, this argument is just ludicrous, wacky goofiness, in my opinion. Now you don't like it. Send the emails to Bob Gustafson at Inside Celebration and, and rebuke him publicly. Um, um, 
you know, and, and let me tell you what I really think about this subject. I, I think that it is just an extreme position that the church has taken that has been part of the beyond the Bible club, you know. The Bible says this, but we go beyond the Bible. You know, the Bible needs our help. No, the Bible doesn't need your help. And God doesn't need your help. And uh, he doesn't need your creative ways of complicating things. Uh, the Bible's pretty clear, um, you know, about these things. The Bible condemns drunkenness without question. You got no business being drunk. Don't be going out and tying one on and sitting at some bar and hammering one back after another and under you're in a fog or sending it home doing the same. Yet the Bible says, man, get under the influence. You want to get influenced by something? Get under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Let the Spirit of God start influencing your life and, and, and dictating uh, how you react to things in life. Um, and don't, don't be turning to alcohol. But this whole idea of alcohol, I, I just, it's an extreme position that evangelical church has taken. And personally, and I know this will make some people mad, I, I think it's one of the reasons that the church has lost credibility in our culture. And, and think about this a little bit. For centuries in American culture, you know, way back when people first started coming over here, the church had a huge influence in public life. When this country got established over 200 years ago, the church had huge, there would not have in fact been uh, uh, an establishing of this country and there wouldn't have even been uh, a war for independence had it not been for churches. Who Do your history study. Man, even, even the, the pagans will tell you. It was the pulpits of America who egged this on and said, this is not right. We shouldn't have to answer to a king. We have only one king. His name is Jesus, is what they preached. And uh, they egged on this revolution, and away we went, and we became uh, the United States of America. It was the church of Jesus Christ who began speaking out against slavery. Uh, if you ever look at uh, you know, any any even movie that is remotely historically correct on the issue of slavery will show Christians who were protesting slavery. And they showed them as a bunch of religious wackos or whatever, you know, they never put us in a good light. But it it was just a historical fact. It was believers. It wasn't, you know, high-minded thinking people who decided that this was not proper. They were believers and preachers. And they preached like on this, like there was no tomorrow. And pushes, and uh, the the nation listened to the church. Then, about 50 years later, whatever it was, uh, not quite, as, as, as we turn into the 20th century, then the church comes along and for some bizarre reason jumps on this bandwagon and says, all alcohol is evil. And got raised, the pulpits of America raised their voices and got in a prohibition. But you know how hard it is to get to change the Constitution? You, ha- you have any idea? It is extremely difficult. People have been trying to do it for who knows? I mean, you know, all the people talk, we're constitutional, we're going to do it. Man, you can't do it. It's so extremely hard. But when the church raised its voice at the turn of the 20th century, people listened. And they changed the Constitution and banned alcohol altogether. In my opinion, the evangelical church, who was the ones who were really behind this, made complete asses of themselves. And within a few years, it was such a disaster, taking an unbiblical stand and making fools of themselves and embarrassing themselves. And then the country, just a few years later, went through the whole process again and changed the Constitution again. You know your history. And watch what happens from then on. 
It's as if the church no longer, nobody listened to the church anymore. It was a huge, catastrophic disaster mistake. And just a few decades later, we've got the 60s and everything that's coming in. Nobody's listening to church. It was a huge embarrassment. We made complete fools of ourselves. The evangelical church has never had enough sense to even apologize for it. They made an unbiblical thing and pushed it into law, made fools of themselves, and were paying the price of it to this day. That's my opinion on this. Send your emails to him. (laughs) Come on, people. There's a reason where we're at today in the world. What happened? It's the only event where you can find where from then on, it's like nobody listened to us. Because we took a position that was not biblical and jumped on the bandwagon and just embarrassed ourselves and embarrassed the nation. And then they quit listening. It was a disaster. We should have never done it. The church should apologize. I apologize. Nobody listens to me, but I apologize. Um, and, uh, and to this day, the vast majority of evangelical Christians still take the same position and try to make the Bible say something that it doesn't say. And I, I just think it's a disaster. I think it's, it's ridiculous and it's, it's silly. Clearly, the wine they drank was wine. In this case, he offered, told him to drink it for medicinal purposes. Of course, some argue, well, it's great cheese has medicinal purposes. <laughs> it's like, you can't win with these people. It's like talking to a s- circle. You know what I'm saying? Jesus. I said, well, pastor, I, I understand what you're saying, but I still never, well, that's fine. You can make your own personal decisions. But just don't say the Bible saying something that it's not saying. And don't take extreme positions. Whenever churches take extreme, nonsensical positions, we embarrass ourselves. Man, I'm telling you, God does not need our help. What he needs is our obedience to live out the Bible, to love people even when we don't agree with them, and and just walk this through. Okay, having said all that, which is not new to most of you. uh, The other interesting thing about this is, is, look at this guy. This is Timothy. When you think about some of the holiest guys in the Bible. By the way, I'm sorry, I forgot my jacket. I got this brand new jacket my wife bought me and I left it at home. And the TV does not like white shirts. Sorry. But anyway. Um, <laughs> I have the intention span of a fly. But uh, when you think of holy people. You think of Paul and Peter and, 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 you know, and Timothy was with Paul and Timothy, right? This guy's like up there on the holy meter, right? You got to think this is one. Here is a guy who's loving God with all of his heart. One of the great leaders of the faith. One of the stalwarts of Christianity, Timothy, this great man of God. And what did he struggle with? Drink a little wine because you're always sick. Always sick. Why would he struggle with constant sicknesses? I don't know. It's one of those goofiest things. I mean, the reason I say this is not to encourage you to go out and be sick. You know, people say, well, it's the will of God for me to be sick. I don't know about that. You know, if it's the will of God for you to be sick, why are you going to a doctor trying to get out of the will of God? If that's the case, let's let's pray for you that you get sicker so you're more in the will of God. You know, I, I take the premise it's not God's will for us to be sick. Somebody say, Amen. I believe God wants you well and healthy, and we can trust God and believe God and answer. And, and but sometimes we get discouraged. Well, how, you know, I'm struggling. How come my prayers aren't getting answered? I know sometimes. Who knows? I 
that, you know, I wish I could give you more wisdom than that. I don't know. I do know this. We encourage faith. We encourage obeying the Bible. Trusting God. Trusting God for miracles. Uh, you know. Um, but why sometimes we struggle with some of the s- simplest of things. You know, these guys, man, they would lay hands on people and raise people from the dead. How do you raise people from the dead and have miracles and stuff and then you still got tummy aches all the time? I do not know. I don't get it. So, you know, here I am, sicker than a dog for the last two weeks. What a cold. Wasn't even the flu. At least the flu year you can, gets rather dramatic, you know. <laughs> not that I'm, Lord, I'm not asking for the flu. But it was just a cold, and I'm sicker than a dog. And here I have seen God do miracles, answer prayer. Just the miracles we've seen in this church over the last year is like, ho-chi mama. Cool stuff, right? But I can't muster enough faith (laughs) to overcome a cold. Instead of a man of faith and power, I was a man of paste and flour. He said, well, why? I don't know why. All I know is I'm sicker than a dog. And I'm still on the back side of it. This is the longest cold I've ever had in my life. And uh, I do know this. I don't care if I got a cold to the day I die. I'm not going to point fingers at God and lose my faith. I'm not going to get mad at Jesus and say, well, God, this Bible doesn't work because things don't go. No, I'm telling you, I'm trusting God. I'm going to do the right thing. And I'm going to believe God. And if for some reason I don't get an answer in a certain area. You know, I'll, I'll just, you know, have a big sign around me. Unclean, unclean. Don't, <laughs> don't get too close to the pastor. You'll catch what he's got, you know. Say, well, is that faith? I, apparently not. I don't know. I, all I know is I don't have all the answers. And. And clearly, there's indi- these indications. When you read the New Testament, you watch a little. Sometimes we read over verses like that. We don't catch it. Here's a guy of faith, of miracle powers, who Paul finally says, dude, drink some wine. You're sick all the time. You know, I don't know. Well, the Bible says, drink any deadly thing and it will not harm you. Do you believe that? Yeah, I do. I'm sure Timothy believed it. I know Paul believed it. Well, how can he be sick all the time? Maybe amoebas were in his drinks and... I, I don't know. Yeah, maybe it wasn't. Maybe he was worried. I don't, I don't know. I don't think. How do you worry with this stuff, you know? I mean, back in these days, these guys, they, they kill you for being a Christian. I don't think. It wasn't like they worried about making the mortgage. They didn't have houses. You know what I'm saying? They didn't worry, you know. I don't Maybe he did. I, I have no idea. Don't know, don't know, don't know, don't know. All I do know is here's a man of great faith, one of the guys way up in there, you know. <clears throat> you know, I don't know if I'll even, you know, he's, that guy's so up on the ladder, I probably won't even see him in heaven. I'm going to be spending all my time with John the Baptist. Yeah. <laughs> do you know why? Anybody know why? What did Jesus say about John the Baptist? Oh, come on, you guys. Nobody knows this one? He'll be the least in the kingdom of God. He'll be in the least of the kingdom of God. He said, why is that? I don't know. First thing, when we all get to heaven, everybody's going to go, oh, I get it. Who knows? There's all kinds of questions out there. But here's John the Baptist. He was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. In a way, maybe he had an advantage none of us have ever had. I mean, because being filled, born, filled with the Holy Spirit, 
Good grief, I can't get half of you full of the Holy Spirit. You've been way past born. <laughs> Are you hearing me? The guy comes out of the womb full of the Holy Ghost. Whoa, <laughs> gee mama, that's pretty cool. That's a serious advantage, wouldn't you say? That, you know, you come out full of the Holy Spirit, man, you got a, you got a pretty good leg up on, you know, life. And maybe because of that, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. I don't know, all I know is Jesus said, he says, he who is least in the kingdom of God will be greater than John the Baptist. Who knows? Take guesses at it. I just know if he's the least, I'm probably going to be in his neighborhood. <laughs> hey, John, babe, what's happening? You know, Timothy, I can't see you. I'm, I'm down here with the little people. <laughs> okay, let's go on. Verse 24, the sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. Sins of others trail behind them. They're not so obvious. Be sharp. Be aware. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are cannot, uh, that are not cannot be hidden. Then he goes on and he says this, chapter 6. Again, they did not write in chapters. We, they chopped that up later so we could find where we were in these letters. But uh, now chapter 6, verse 1, he's he's writing to all those who are under the yoke of slavery. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect. Now this is real interesting, again, because here's, the Bible never condemns slavery. This was one of the issues, rather, of contention when churches started preaching against slavery. People say, well, wait a minute, the Bible doesn't condemn that. And, uh, but they preached against it anyway, and da 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 and I, I think they did the right thing, certainly making people slaves. And people say, well, why didn't the Bible condemn slavery? Uh, you have to understand something. As much as we try to influence our culture with laws, and we fight for what's right, and vote for this amendment, and all that stuff, that's cool, and it's great, and it's fine, but we've got to keep it in perspective. Uh, their main interest in the scripture wasn't so much about changing their secular laws. It was about changing people's hearts. You know, and if this was the law, so be it. We're going to work. What, what, what they did is under the most unrighteous law, they told people how to live righteously. You see what I'm saying? I mean, we're so quick trying to always want to change the circumstance. But what the Bible often teaches is how to live victorious in the middle of lousy circumstances. Are you following me? Now, you don't hear that preach a lot today. You hear a lot of faith preachers saying, you know, if you really believe God, then you can just change your circumstance. Hence, people, you know, uh, feel bad sometimes because their circumstances don't change. Maybe their stomachs are upset all the time. Who knows? Whatever the deal is. And, 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 but while I do believe God changes circumstances, and certainly I believe God answers prayers, and God does miracles. How many of you had miracles? God moving in your life, answering prayers. I mean, there's a real God who does real things. It's very cool. But sometimes, a lot of times... It's about how to live in the lousy circumstances and still have joy and peace. I've talked about this before. You know, uh, the, you know, Jesus uh, on the boat, this horrible storm gets up and they all thought they were going to die. Men who had been fishermen all their lives. These weren't a bunch of guys like me. You know, on the road, ah, you know, a wave goes by and I freak out. These guys were on the water all their lives and they thought they were going to die. This was a serious storm. And they woke up Jesus because he was sleeping. said, Lord, don't you care? And he gets up and he calms the waves and the sea. A cool miracle. Well, ooh, ah, they all went, ooh, ah. But what did Jesus do? He yells at them. He chews them out. You bunch of girlies. What's the matter with you? Haven't you got any faith? Faith, we were going to die. Apparently not. 
Apparently not. And what he rebuked him for, even though he had the power to calm the storm, guys, be calm in the midst of the storm. Does that mean you can't trust God to calm the storm? Of course not. You can always ask God to move in your life. And again, the more you, I, I encourage people, pray, 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 pray all the time. The Bible encourages you, pray, pray, pray. Trust God to change your circumstances. But if your circumstances do not change for some reason, do not get mad at God, do not lose your faith. What you've got to learn is say, you know what? Even if my circumstances do not change, I am going to serve God and be victorious in it. And quite frankly, oftentimes it's not until you get that place that the circumstances won't, will change. Do you get to the point where you say, you know, I don't care. I'm asking God to change, but if they don't change, I'm still going to serve you anyway. That's often when the miracles do come. But Christianity, the crazy thing about Christianity wasn't so much about, let's get a revolution here. Let's, he didn't, they didn't call for, you know, you know, let's rebel against slavery or whatever. He, he said, man, I'll tell you what. If you're a slave, be a great slave. Be a great slave. He says, if, if, you're, if you're a master, be a Christian master. Be a compassionate master. Again, the, and again, a lot of people, non-Christians point at this and say, you know, Christianity wasn't you know, strong enough against slavery and stuff. But they don't get it. They don't understand. They didn't approve of it. And Paul said, if you have the chance to get out of it, get out of it. That's what he wrote. But uh, if you don't, he says, all those who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. He says, man, just live this out. Who cares what your circumstances are? And he says, those who have believing masters, Christian masters, are not to show less respect for them because they are brothers. Instead, they are to serve them even better because those who benefit from their service are believers and dear to them. These are the things you are to teach and urge on them. Now, this is a great analogy here because we run into this today. If you use the analogy of employers instead of masters and slaves, employees, employees, that kind of thing. What he's saying is is if you have a Christian master or a Christian employer and stuff, don't take advantage of that. You should serve them with even greater respect. See, why is that important? Because you have no idea. For, for guys like us, who have people come work for us, the minute that someone is a Christian, they think the rules change. You say, well, I, you know, I, I thought if I worked for a Christian, then I wouldn't have to get up and be here on time. I'm telling you, people think like that. Well, I, I would work, work for a church and... You know, a lot of people get so... If, I don't know how many of you have ever worked for a church and got totally disillusioned. <laughs> but it happens a lot. Uh, because they come with different expectations. They think because they're going to be with believers that there's going to be, you know, birds singing every morning and, and pastor's going to float in and, and and speak love and peace all the time. And be, No, we're just, it's just still people. Sometimes the pastor's just a jerk. I am. Ask Bob. <laughs> Sometimes I'm not the nicest guy in the world. I go and say, what'd you do? You messed up here. Don't do that. Why do you guys on drugs for crying out loud? Think this stuff through. Blah, 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 blah. And I go, okay, I'm sorry. And then I go and finally get saved. But, uh, but, but there's people go, well, I thought if I worked for a Christian, I wouldn't have people telling me that way. And it should be different around Christians. And have you ever heard that? You know, there's a standard that if you're a Christian, then, uh, you know, you shouldn't ever get on people or anything, that kind of stuff. And, and this is all nonsense. The reality is, uh, if you have someone you're working for who is a believer or you work for a pastor or whatever, they're still your boss. They're still people you have to respond to in life. And if they are a believer, don't expect some special treatment, uh, per se. Just be all that more willing to serve.
is what he's saying. Does that make any sense? To some of y'all? Okay. <laughs> now I won't be able to get anybody to work for me now, but... <laughs> but... Uh, uh, people do that. They they come in, you know, they get into church environments, and then um, when normal life kicks in, come on, there's normal life. Sometimes we get on each other's nerves. You don't believe it? Come spend some time with me. <laughs> you know, you always think I'm joking. I'm not joking. Uh, you know, I'm a human being like anybody else, and I have my days where I'm just irritated. <laughs> Leave me alone. Everybody just. Back away from Mark, you know, kind of thing. Well, I thought if you were really a Christian, you'd never be like that. Well, in your fantasy world, maybe not. I mean, you know, should I ever be? No, I mean, we should always be nice and kind, but sometimes we're not, you know. But just just because someone is a believer, say, you know, well, I don't have to be treated by you that way. Chill out. The truth of the matter is Christianity among Christians, we should be more willing to serve each other. We should be more willing to tolerate each other. We should be more willing. That's really the call that he's saying. He says, don't use, don't use the Christian label to think that uh, you've got a special get-out-of-jail-free card in life, is what he's saying to these slaves and to these masters. You know, love and serve all the more, because that's what Christianity is all about. Okay, I guess we're done for tonight. Let's have our uh, ushers come forward, and uh, we'll uh, close with our... Uh, evening offering um and then we'll pick it up i you know i was convinced we'd be finished with this tonight but i can't shut up uh we'll just we'll just pick it up here and, and then what we're going to do is we're going to go right into second timothy so we might as well just do it back to back right away first and second timothy we'll finish this first little letter and then we'll jump right into the second letter uh, which is really short it's literally you know three pages on my bible i don't know about yours uh, and then we'll, we'll have uh, both of these uh, in the can that we've that we've walked through. So, uh, but some good stuff here, man. I, I just I love the Bible. I love the Bible, and the more we learn, uh, the more we can learn from those who went before us, those who laid out the standard. Uh, things aren't always easy, but uh, you know we, we get the, the principle of how to live life. It'll teach you how to live life if you'll if you'll read it and learn and, and see what it has to say. Now, when we pick it up next week, we'll talk about the love of money and how some people use the gospel to try to make money and how he condemns that very, very strongly in the strongest of terms. You kind of wonder sometimes when you hear people today on some of these evangelists and stuff on TV who are always talking about money and stuff. You think, man, you know, hello. Hello, have you read your Bible? Have you read Timothy? You know, because what you're saying doesn't sound like this. But we'll get into that. Not to condemn them, but just still, hey, this is our standard. You always got to look back to the Word of God. That's, that's our standard. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, for your grace and your kindness. Lord, I pray for your blessings upon your people. Thank you for their faithfulness uh, to uh, support the work of God and, and to give out of their earnings and, to, uh, and being generous. Uh, because when we give to your kingdom, Lord, we're ultimately, we're not giving to uh, buildings and, and, and that sort of, we're giving into people's lives. It's an opportunity to create an environment where we can minister your word, where our children can hear the word of God, our youth can hear the word of God. We can be taught and instructed in the word of God and preach the gospel uh, uh, all over uh, uh, the world, wherever we have opportunities, uh, Lord, to share the love. You have blessed us with so much. 
you told us freely we have received, so now we should freely give. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen.